Peter's going to come and wrap up our series that's called Coming Together this morning. Let's pray for him and, and, and for us as we receive the word. God, we thank you uh, for fun in your presence together this morning, for the fun we look forward to next week with a river Sunday. We pray you'd move powerfully next week through that way of doing church. And we pray you'd move powerfully now as Peter comes to share that you'd move through him expressing the truth of your scripture to us. God, help us to have open ears, hearts, and spirits ready to embrace the truth of your word and to go live it out. Help us not only to hear, but like you said, put it into practice. We thank you for what you're going to do now. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you guys give Peter a warm welcome? Amen. Amen. Um, I'm excited to be here. This is great. Um, I, everybody's sitting towards the back. I'm wondering if I should move the pulpit closer there. I don't know. <laughs> there, there would be less, fewer lights in my eyes um, and less light in my eyes. Um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I start squinting, it's not because I'm angry or anything. It's just because, no. Oh, Jeff, thank you so much. Awesome. <laughs> you guys are welcome to move up if you would like. Um, praise the Lord. All right. So um, our, our women are gone. Uh, <laughs> there's <laughs> so many of them at the, at the women's retreat. Um, and, you know, if, if you're a guy who's Got a uh, got kids and trying to bring them to church. I just want to say congratulations. Uh, you have fought the good fight. You've finished the race. You're here. Um, <laughs> it's very difficult. Um, I'm I'm not skilled in doing my daughter's hair, um, and it takes me a really long time. Uh, and so we wake up super. We woke up super early this morning so that we could get here on time. <laughs> so um, praise the Lord. All right, speaking. Um, uh, to a disproportionate number of men today. And so we're talking about biblical manhood today. So excited. Um, a few weeks ago, when during the men's retreat, uh, Marilee came up and, and shared a, uh, a word for the women of our congregation. Um, and it's my job to talk um, about manhood. Um, Paul ends his first letter to the Corinthian church with instructions. Um, and it's stuff, it's stuff like Timothy's coming, treat him well. Apollos, Apollos will be there eventually. Um, and like among all of those instructions, there's this short, strong admonition to the church. It says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. What in the world? That's, <laughs> that's so, something that, I don't know, kind of jumps out at me of like, that's, not something I would expect to see in scripture. A act like men. Um, the phrase is the Greek word andridzomai. Andridzomai. Yes. Which literally means to show oneself a man, to act like a man. Like, that's, that's what it means. Um, similar to our English phrase, man up. Um, by the way, if you're ever confused about a particular phrase in scripture... Um, a great first step is to look it up in a lexicon or a concordance. Um, Blue Letter Bible has this right here. Blue Letter Bible is amazing. Um, you can look up every single word in the Bible. Um, they have assigned um, them all to numbers. 
So if it's a Hebrew word, it's going to be something like H406. Or if it's going to be a Greek word, it's going to be G, you know, 4,350-some, whatever. Um, this word is Strong's G407 and Dridzomai. It shows up one time in scripture. <laughs> yes, <laughs> one time. That's it. Um, yeah, isn't that strange? It shows up in uh, 1 Corinthians, <laughs> the last chapter of 1 Corinthians. Um, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> cool part about a concordance is you can actually look up and see side by side every single instance of a particular phrase in scripture. You can see all the verses that have that scripture and it gives a great idea for context uh, or it gives a great uh, way, way to see context throughout scripture. Um, also in blue letter Bible, you can see uh, this verse in all of the different ways that it's been translated in English, at least um, all the popular uh, widely accepted ones. Um, and we see for the most part, it says act like men. A couple of the translations will try to pull out the meaning of it and just replace it with be brave, be courageous, right? The King James, quit you like men, quit. Uh, we don't use that word like that anymore. Um, so what is Paul trying to say here? Take courage, be courageous. Um, today, we're talking about biblical manhood, manliness, masculinity, um, and before we start, I want to reiterate what Marilee said a few weeks ago. Men and women are equal in value and in importance, right? And that is because they are in the, made in the image of God. Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, right? We see equality here and distinction, Side by side, two distinct creations, both made in his image. And today we're specifically talking about God's created purpose and intention for men. Men cannot be mothers, wives, or daughters. Men are fathers, husbands, and sons. And men ought to seek biblical manhood, to walk into what they were, who they were created to be, just as women ought to seek biblical womanhood. God gives specific commands to old men, to daughters, to fathers, to sons. And it would benefit us to understand God's divine intention for us as men today. Now, I don't believe that women should just, you know, walk out the door today and I, this is nothing here for me, right? Uh, just as men need to understand um, God's intention for women, uh, there is no part of scripture that is um, not applicable and is useless. All scripture is profitable for us. All scripture is useful because honestly, scripture is not about us. Scripture is about who God is. Scripture is about us understanding God's intention, us understanding who God is, what God is like. And all of it shows us that. All of it... All of scripture points us to who the Lord is. Today, manhood has been broken into many distorted and perverted versions. And this becomes a really a big problem when we try to figure out what God has called us to. If we want to pursue godly manhood, we have to understand God's intent, or we'll end up trying to look like one of the culture's perverted versions, right? 
when we think, what is a man? A variety of things can pop into our minds, right? We could think of the superpowered executive dude um, who's defined by his salary or the size of his house or the value of his car or his company, right? Or macho, macho man who acts like he has no emotions except for rage and aggression. Those are okay, right? He's defined by his don't mess with me attitude, right? And makes himself feel superior by belittling other men. Or it's sit on the couch dude, right? Who refuses to work, who, you know, lives with his parents until he's 40 playing video games in the basement, right? Or maybe when you think of a man, you think of the predator who spends his life trying to manipulate as many women as he can into sleeping with him right? Where sex becomes a game or a competition or a source of validation. For many who grew up without a father, a man is somebody who disappears and leaves. A man is someone who wants to live his own life at the cost of whatever. Or it's the guy who's looking at manhood, all of these perverted versions of manhood and says, you know what? Masculinity is toxic. I'm going to have nothing to do with it and decides to live in femininity all his life. There is a godly manhood for every man. And it's not a character and it's not a cartoon. It's not any of these broken personas. I'd like to share a couple of things that I believe are included in biblical manhood. And this is not an exhaustive list. But I believe that these are the things that some of the things that scripture points us to as men. And as we grow in these things, we'll grow towards who God has called us to be. Number one, I believe a man is called to work, to cultivate. God created Adam and put him in an unfinished garden, right? He gave him work to do. God said, be fruitful and multiply, Subdue the earth and have dominion over the creatures, right? And basically that means subdue the earth. Make, make the whole earth look like this garden of Eden, right? Make it grow. Make it useful. Tend it. Take the things that are out of control and put them in order. Figure things out. Invent things. Be productive, Lamentation says it's good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young. We were created for work. Work was not a part of the curse, right? Work came before the fall, right? The curse had to do with the land fighting against us, right? But work is something that, you know, when God comes into, you know, when, when Jesus comes in, in glory and, um, and heaven completely uh, covers the earth, um, work's still going to be a thing. (laughs) God could have created the world exactly how he wanted. Right. And then just told Adam what all the names of the animals were, you know, and, and said, just enjoy it. Right. Just, just live it. Just, you know, that's not his intention for man. Colossians three, whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. The Lord's expecting us to work and we work for the Lord. Whatever job you find yourself in, remember it's a spiritual thing. You're glorifying God by being fruitful and subduing the earth. If you build houses, you build houses for the Lord. 
right? If you sell insurance, you sell insurance in a way that honors the Lord, right? I worked at Wendy's. That was my first job on West Main. They've torn it down and built a new one, but it's still right over there, right? And if you flip burgers, you're feeding your community for the glory of the Lord, right? This is the very first command God gives. When we're trying to figure out what is man called to do, looking at the very first thing God tells him to do is kind of important. Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion over creation. So in this way, biblical manhood means stewardship. Recognize everything that we have is on loan from the Lord, and it's our job to steward it well. Psalm says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. It's our job to work with creation and to improve, to invest and to spend wisely. If biblical manhood is stewardship, perverted manhood is idolatry. This is when we distort our God-given purpose and we worship the things God created. Instead of being commissioned by God to work with the things, we make the things into our gods. And we give those things our love and our time and our best. Idolatry means obsessing over the things that we own and coveting the things that we don't. Idolatry means workaholism, where we put work ahead of everything else that God has called us to do. Work is one of our callings, not the only calling, right? And we can't fall into the love of money. We can't fall into greed. These are perversions of God's beautiful, creative work. And missing manhood is laziness or sloth. Man who, a man who is missing his manliness will shirk God's call to be faithful. And we see this in Proverbs. Proverbs 13, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The desire of the sluggard kills him for his hand refuses to labor. The sluggard does not plow in the the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Slothfulness casts into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. The way of the sluggard is like a a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. Proverbs makes it clear that laziness not only brings poverty onto oneself, but it brings poverty onto the community as well. This is the wicked servant who who takes the Lord's investment and buries it in the sand. I don't want to work. I don't want to invest it. I don't. You know, I'm, I'm too scared of the risks. I, I have excuses. I'm, I'm not going to touch it. You know, I'll just hand back whatever God gave me. A Christian man is meant to work. Hard work for the glory of the Lord is virtuous. Number two, a man is called to love. Jesus says in John 15, this is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life 
for his friends. Men, your love is not measured by how much you enjoy someone, but by your sacrifice for them, right? The world gets this twisted. Love is not affection or fondness. Love is a gift. Love is giving of yourself your very last breath for someone else. And it's our Lord's expectation that we love as he loved us. And what does that look like? It looks like we lay our lives down. And we've seen these men before. The men who rush into burning buildings to to pull out the people who have collapsed. Right? The men who go off to war in order to protect the women and the children at home. It's the men who choose to live their lives for the sake of providing for and defending those around them. We've seen this love. Jesus says in Matthew that he receives anything that we do as a gift for others as a gift to himself. Right? You want to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Give your heart, mind, soul, and strength to your family. Right? Give those things to your neighbor. Give those things to your brothers and sisters in the church. That's loving the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How else do men love? Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave him up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. Men, this is a huge calling. This is huge, right? The same kind of love that Christ had for the church, we're supposed to have for our wives, right? And what does that calling look like? Gave himself up for her, makes her holy, cleanses her, presents her radiant, holy, and blameless, right? That's a mindset change. The world has such a shallow view of what marriage is, right? So many, shr- so many men shrug their shoulders and, and wonder what's even the point of getting married, right? Maybe to save some money on taxes, right? <laughs> marriage is more than an economic arrangement, right? It's more than just a domestic partnership where we live together and we share things, right? It's a contract that, you know, we won't break up with each other because it would be annoying to go through divorce courts and things like that, right? Like that's, that's not what marriage is. Christian marriage is a holy thing, right? It's a profound thing that's meant to display the gospel to one another and to the world. A godly Christian marriage will extend the kingdom and will turn unbelievers into believers. And men who take their roles as husbands seriously are the men that will transform the world. Fathers, love your children. This is, this is the gospel embodied as well. Psalm says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. As a father in your house, you are daily preaching the gospel to your family. You're representing the heart of the father by the way that you live your life. 
are your children getting an accurate picture of what God is? Or are they getting it distorted? Ephesians 6, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, you are meant to cultivate your children like Adam cultivated the Garden of Eden. You're supposed to instruct them, to discipline them. Don't leave that up to the teachers in the schools, right? Don't say, oh, that's their mother's job, right? Fathers, it's your job to bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The book of Proverbs is a collection of wisdom. The whole book is a collection of wisdom given from a father to a son. Just listen to just Proverbs 1 here. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if, a sin, if sinful men entice you, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down into the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and we'll fill our houses with plunder, cast lots with us, and we'll share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush to evil and they're swift to shed innocent blood, to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. This is what it sounds like for a father to pass on wisdom to his son, right? Is this how we sound when we're talking to our children? I remember my father saying many things. Um, he, he told me repeatedly, never lend a tool out to someone if it's going to ruin that relationship, if it gets broken or lost or never returned, right? I, I remember one time I was worried about somebody misunderstanding something that I did. I was worried about what people thought of me. And my dad sat me down and he said, hey, you take care of your integrity and let God take care of your reputation, right? My dad said, bad condiments will make a good hot dog taste bad, but good condiments will make a bad hot dog taste good. Spend your money on good condiments. All of my brothers remember this. <laughs> we, we texted about it this week. Right? Pass that stuff down to your children. <laughs> right? Giving instruction and discipline is love. Right? <laughs> we talk about fathers love your family. Fathers love your children. It's not just like your children, like being around them. That's really hard sometimes. Right? But like, give them discipline. Give them instruction. Teach them things. Biblical manhood, that's sacrificial love, love that denies ourselves, right? There's a call for man to sacrifice themselves just like Christ did, to love like Jesus. It's the strong laying down their life for the weak. When the ship goes down, it's women and children first, right? Perverted manhood is love to get. It's a focus on performing so that we acquire people around us that make us feel good. 
right? In, in love to get, our relationships are like a fair transaction. It's 50-50, right? We'll make sacrifices, but, you know, it better be worth it in the end. And after we complete our portion of the arrangement, we feel entitled, right? We're entitled to our time on the couch. We're entitled to splurge however we want, right? Because we, we earned it. We worked hard. We're entitled to love from our spouse. You better give me love, right? Because I'm doing, I'm doing my part in this relationship, right? Biblical manhood says, I don't need an even portion. I don't need the best chair. I don't need payback. I just want to bless you. I just want to make sure you're taken care of. Missing manhood is just straight selfishness. It's a cowardly rush to the lifeboats to get there before the men, the women and the children do, right? It's using whatever advantage we have to get what we want, manipulating others into serving us. It makes women into things that please us, right? Pornography thrives on a lack of, of manhood on men who are controlled by lust and value women as objects, right? And the porn industry would disappear if men loved sacrificially instead of selfishly. Missing manhood means sleeping with other means sleeping with women outside of marriage and then pushing them to get an abortion so that they don't have to be a father. The abortion industry would disappear if men would love sacrificially and step into their God-given role as husbands and fathers. We need men to step into biblical sacrificial love. And in places where that's a reality, the entire community is blessed. Number three, a man is called to wage war. God made men to be warriors. Psalms 144, praise to the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Part of what God has fashioned you for is the taking up of a sword and wielding it for his glory. Paul said, as he was preparing for his death, I have fought the good fight. There is a good fight that you are supposed to fight. Ephesians 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness from the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. This is what the battle looks like. It's an invisible army of orcs coming to take out your family, right? And you're all that's left standing there with your divine armor, right? (laughs) And you're swinging your sword to protect everybody who's behind you in the castle. And they're coming. They're coming to steal and to kill and to destroy, to pillage and plunder and to level everything that's been built to throw it all back into chaos. And men, we have to step up. We have to man up. We have to act like men to stand guard and be watchful because our families are depending on it. And the battle that we choose to fight defines whether our manhood is biblical or not. 
Biblical manhood fights a spiritual battle. Second Corinthians, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Feel good reading that. Like, let's do it. You know, (laughs) this is the battle we're fighting. Biblical manhood seeks to pull down the strongholds of the enemy to bring everything under the dominion of Christ. We're a soldier in a war. A biblical man fights for righteousness, for peace, and for justice. Uh, It's a man who speaks the truth with courage, regardless of the cost. And who takes responsibility for those in his household, making sure they are a part of the household of faith. It's a man of prayer. James 5 says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The King James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It works. (laughs) It does stuff, right? When a righteous man sits down to pray, things happen. This is wild. According to data by the promise keepers and Baptist press, if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one child in 50 will become a regular worshiper. And if a father does go regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two thirds and three quarters of their children will attend church as adults. Like, what do you do with that? (laughs) You go to church. (laughs) That's, That's right. You take responsibility for your household. This is another study said, if a child is the first person in a a household to come to the faith, there's a 3% chance that everyone else in the household will follow. If a mother is the first one to come to Christ, there is a 17% chance that the whole house will follow. But if a father, if a man is the first one to come to Christ, there is a 93% probability that everyone in the house will follow. What in the world? Like, what a responsibility. What a responsibility. Right? This reminds me of Joshua, right? That says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And people go like, well, aren't you going to let them make their own decision? Well, yeah, but I'm going to lead the way. Right? We're going to do this thing. In my house, the default is going to be we're going to follow Jesus. You got to work hard to do something different. I think of like Paul and Silas's jailer after God uh, broke open the prison doors with a big earthquake and the jailer comes up to them and says, what must I do to be saved? Right? And they preach the gospel to him. And what happens? His whole household believes. Right? Or Cornelius comes to, to Peter, right? And says, I, I need to know the gospel. Like, you know, Peter comes to the house. They bring the whole household, which involves the servants and the neighbors and everybody, like huge house, Right? He preaches to Cornelius, the whole house gets saved. God cares about households. And men of God, you cannot neglect your first battle. This is the one that's most important. 
and you're going to be surprised at what it is. <laughs> Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. There is a battle for your heart and your mind. And if the enemy can take you out, he's going to have a better time taking out everyone that you're supposed to be defending. Right? And this means guarding your heart before making sure you're doing a good job at your job. Right? It actually means coming before your spouse and your children. You got to make sure your heart is right. Right? It becomes it comes before volunteer work or work at the church or mission work. Sometimes we get it so twisted and say, I'll be all right. I'll just sacrifice for everyone else. It doesn't matter what's going on inside of me. I'll just serve and serve and serve other people, right? And then stuff rots from the inside out. That's how burnout happens. That's how moral failure happens. Your heart matters. It's not selfish. It's keeping the first things first. You can't lead your family well if your love for God has gone out. You can't go into all the world and preach the gospel if you've already lost the war for yourself. Open up the word of God and become a man of faith and of prayer. First Timothy, but you man of God flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is your good fight of faith pursuing righteousness and godliness, right? Right living, pursuing love, pursuing hope and faith, gentleness. Take hold of the eternal life for yourself and then work to establish the kingdom of God and other people. Your spiritual responsibility goes something like this. Make sure everything's right here. Take care of yourself then take care of your spouse. Then you're responsible for your children, right? Then you're responsible for your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And your neighbor and the world, right? Make sure that you take care of your relatives. Scripture says, if you don't take care of your relatives, you're worse than an unbeliever. It specifically says, especially the members in your household. There's, a, there's an order of responsibility. You got to make sure you take care of first things first. So if my father-in-law needs a trip to go pick up his motorcycle. <laughs> All right. Perverted manhood fights the wrong battle. Fights flesh and blood. Gets into quarrels and arguments with other believers, right? And splits the body of Christ over unimportant things, right? It views brothers and sisters as the enemy instead of as people for whom Christ died. People are not your enemy. Your enemy is the prowling lion that seeks to destroy the church, right? Perverted manhood seeks first the world, right? And leaves the kingdom of God for last. They use their God-given strength for selfish ends, like Samson with all of his strength that he was given. Missing manhood surrenders the fight doesn't defend or protect those he's responsible for, right? I'm just living my own. I'm not responsible for anybody else. I'm not, you know, I'm just taking care of me. I'm just doing my own thing, right? Cowardly stays silent when there's something 
that he ought to speak up for. Abdicates. Abdicates. Responsibility. He abdicates responsibility for fighting evil. Right? He says, I'll let somebody else take care of that. Leaves the responsibility for the spiritual health of your family to someone else, to their spouse, to the pastor at church, to Sunday school. Right? I'll just drive them there and make sure everything's okay. You know? Missing manhood means you don't pray, means you don't renew your mind in the word of God, right? Doesn't seek to accomplish the will of God, isn't doing anything for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is the perfect picture of a man who knew what battle he was fighting. This is what he tells Pontius Pilate. My kingdom's not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. He knew exactly what his commission was. Everybody around him is trying to get him to fight a physical battle, a political battle, a natural battle that you can see. Right? And he's faithfully staying on track. One day Jesus is in the temple and he opens up this scroll that Isaiah wrote and he reads it. And this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began saying today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Like, mic drop. Like, that's, that's who I am, right? That's biblical identity. I have been commissioned. I am, I, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to fulfill it. I'm going to do it. A, a biblical man is on a mission to fulfill the will of the Lord for his life. Jesus said his very food was to do the will of the one he sent him, Right? Men, we should live on doing the will of the Lord. That should be what pushes us forward. A biblical man is focused. He's going to fight the good fight. He's going to finish the race. He's going to keep the faith. My last scripture here, 2 Timothy 2. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one suffering as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. And a hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. This is who we are, men. Soldiers for the Lord. Athletes running our race, focused on our finish line, right? Farmers, not in our field, in the Lord's field, right? This is it. We can't get, dis get distracted. We got to take responsibility for the work and wait for the reward that we have in heaven. Bill, would you close the service? All right, would you stand up with me? Work, love, war. <laughs> some guys are excited about that um yeah so 
how to respond to this. <laughs> I'm I'm reminded of um like in the movies where you see like I don't know what time period it is, but where they do like a phalanx. You know what that is? It's a bunch of guys who fight together. They got big shields and they stand really close and they put them up so there's this protection from the enemy's spears and arrows and all of that kind of stuff. And it's really it's a really powerful way to fight in that day and age. And, um, you know, with the themes we saw in worship this morning, I feel like that's a picture of of what we're called to with what Peter shared about biblical manhood is, you know, there's like, in our culture, there's this love of like James Bond, you know, or like Neo in the Matrix, if you're a Matrix lover like me here. You know, the solo star guy with the talented gifts who just saves the world on his own. And it's it's not biblical. It's not <laughs> it's not practical. And um, I, I I know statistically, men standing here right now are watching this online who are just fighting fights alone and losing. You know that was my experience at a season of my life, especially when it comes to. Um, pornography when it comes to feeling like a failure and giving up um, when it comes to just settling for making money and and being a shell of a man in all the other ways and so I want to encourage you to respond by being willing to no longer fight alone I'm not gonna make you do anything right now (laughs) but I'm gonna encourage you men if you feel the Lord hugging on your heart, as we like to say, if the Spirit's speaking to you, seek out another man this week, this week. <laughs> Before we go to River Sunday next week and in the moments past, seek out another dude and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Will you pray with me? That's, that's getting another guy's shield next to yours. You know, someone to, to stand with you and whatever you're dealing with. And commit to guard your heart, to work it out. It takes time to, you know, to unshellify, <laughs> to not be a shell of a man anymore. It takes hard work. It takes help. It takes prayer. But you can do it. You know, I feel like I've come a long way in that area, you know, and done it to a degree, a great degree. We've, we've always got room to grow. No worries. Yeah, that's true, too. But. It's possible, so do it. Let's pray, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for, um, wow, for this month, God, where we had this biblical truth about womanhood that Marilee shared and what it means to be the kind of woman you designed in this day and age, Lord. And we're working that out in this community. Thank you uh, for the two messages Pastor Cameron shared about bringing gifts, grace gifts, to the gathering, and being your community, God. Help us to work that out and to do that well. And thank you for this week, the truths that Peter shared about being uh, a biblical man in the community of believers and what that means. Help us to do that well and to work that out, God. And help us to be a support to one another, to stand with one another as each individual is working that out. I just want to leave um, a little bit of time of silence here. Men, if you're, actually everyone. (laughs) I just talked about three things. Womanhood, 
bringing your gifts to the community and manhood. And if you just feel kind of called out by the Lord that you're not doing it well in a particular area, I'm going to be quiet. So you can just pray and say, God, yep, I see it. I'm sorry. I repent. Forgive me. And receive his forgiveness and ask him for his truth and what he might say to you. give you an example <laughs> share my example so here here's how that could go guys god when peter shared about um, the type of love that keeps a list of what it's done for its spouse and then wants to demand things in return that's where i've slipped up lately you know slip into that mindset of like, well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, and here's what I want in return from those that I love. And so, God, I just say I'm sorry for that mindset, that way of thinking, which isn't sacrificial love. It gives to get instead of just giving freely like you did, Jesus. And so I pray you just forgive me for the times I've slipped into that mode instead of loving fully sacrificially like you, Jesus. And I just receive your forgiveness, God. I repent, which means I'm going to work at changing my ways. But I do it out of your love and your forgiveness for me, not out of shame, not out of beating myself up. I just receive your forgiveness fully, and I'm ready to move forward a new way. So here we go. Amen to that. <laughs>